If you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5, pretty much at the start of the New Testament there. And it's there for a reason, because in Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7, there we have the Sermon on the Mount. We have that record of Christ's teaching that he delivered to his disciples toward the beginning of his ministry, his active ministry. And we've been going through the Beatitudes, and the Beatitude, that word comes from the Latin word to mean blessed, to be blessed. And so these are the blessings that the Lord Jesus Christ pronounces, or we should say those whom he pronounces as blessed. This is a proclamation. So we'll read the the first 12 verses. We're going to be looking at 11 and 12 today. We'll be concluding. And there we read, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask you now to bless us, open our hearts to your word, and open your word to our hearts and our minds, Lord, we pray. Uh, We just pray, Lord God, that you would write your word in our hearts and minds, opening them up, Lord, as we behold what you have said. And we commit ourselves into your care now. Help us to pay attention to what the scripture says. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, we come to this, this last beatitude. It's a little different because... Christ here has spoken in general in the first Beatitudes. Blessed are, and then he names a group. But here now he speaks directly to his disciples. And he says, I like the way the old King James has it. Blessed are ye. And there's a reason why I like that. I'm going to tell you in just a moment. Um, Blessed are ye. That's how the old King James renders it. When men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. It says the same thing pretty much as the New King James. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the original Greek text, though, there's the distinguishing um, mark in the use of the plural second person. That's where you see ye and you and your from the singular, excuse me, from the plural to the singular. And the singular is the these and the thous. We don't use those anymore in common speech. But thee and thou, 
represents a singular use. You've heard me talk about this before. This is why you do need to love your Bible. Hang on. You know, the New King James is an excellent translation. It is the Word of God in modern English. But don't throw away your old King James Bible, okay? Because there are certain things in the older form of our language that actually represent what's going on in the original Hebrew and Greek that we don't have in modern English. And one of the chief things that comes out is the, the singular pronoun, thou and thee, when you're speaking to an individual, as opposed to ye, you, and your, when you're speaking to a group of people. We don't have that distinction. We use you for everything now. And it's, it's a little hard for us. But in uh, the original languages, in Greek and Hebrew, both of those languages make a distinction between the singular pronoun and verbs in the singular, a second person singular, as opposed to the plural pronoun, you and your, um, and verbs that are in the second person plural. It's an important distinction to be made. We see this at times uh, in this sermon when Jesus says um, to agree with your 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 uh, adversary quickly, he says, agree with thine adversary. That's you singular. If we go back, uh, we read in verse 21 of chapter 5, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. You see, the commandments are singular in the Hebrew. Uh, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that's y'all, uh, I guess we do have a way of saying it in English, it's just not considered to be literary, I suppose, uh, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the counsel. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, talking to an individual, shall be in danger of hellfire. Then in verse 23 he says, Therefore, if thou bringest, bring rather, thy gift to the altar, and there remember that thy brother hath aught against thee, notice how it becomes personal now, singular, it's not about you as a group. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Etc. Okay, it goes on. And all through the Sermon on the Mount, if you have an old King James, read through it, you'll notice that distinction. You know, when thou, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and thy Father who seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, say, or pray after this manner, in Luke it says, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God is addressed in the singular uh, there. And that's the way it's distinguished. So, what's that all about? Well, here in this text, <clears throat> this is a ye passage. Christ is expressing, or addressing rather, his disciples as a group. He's talking to them corporately, as the corporate church. Groups are made up of individuals, so we're not trying to say that this text has no application by way of promise and comfort to us as individuals. It certainly does. It must have that if there's to be any corporate application. By the way, the word corporate comes from corpore, comes from the Latin word meaning a body. We're the, the body of Christ. That's where corporation comes from. Okay, uh, But if there's to be any corporate application, there must also first and foremost be individual. You, know, you can't expect a, a group of people to have something happen or be something unless each individual is doing it. So... It comes to us collectively, but then individually. But crises are speaking to us collectively. Uh, we need to expand our understanding of this passage to see that it has a broader subject 
then we usually take it of just me, myself, and I. Okay, those are the three people we're most often concerned with, right? Uh, it speaks to us of the church militant that is on earth fighting the battle. And to us as members of the same, blessed are ye when they revile and persecute you or y'all. Okay. Now, again, he's speaking to individuals, but he's viewing it in the whole, you might say. The blessing is plural. The being reviled in the original is plural. The persecution is plural. The having all manner of evil spoken against you falsely for Christ's sake is also plural. The rejoicing command is in the plural. It's nice to rejoice individually, and it has to be that at a point, right? But Jesus is calling us to rejoice corporately, to rejoice together. Rejoice ye, you're in good company, he tells us. Not just now, but also with the prophets. So the rejoicing command is plural. The command to be exceedingly glad is plural. And the great reward in heaven is also plural and corporate of which all in the church, that is the true members of the church who have come to faith in Christ, come to salvation through faith in Christ, uh, that promises to all the members of the church persecuted, slandered, and abused as it emerges, emerges triumphant in the glory of Christ to return. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12 and said, All those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Everyone who's going to live godly shall suffer persecution. So if you say, well, I don't have any persecution in my life, you might want to take a look at that and see why is that, you know. Um, we often talk about, you know, well, not often, but it comes up where John warns about to test the spirits, whether or not they are of God. He says, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then he says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit, meaning a person claiming to speak under the power of God's Spirit, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not, of, excuse me, is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it should come. And even now it's already in the world. And so John warns us the way you can identify the spirit of Antichrist, not those who deny it, although some modern Bibles render it that way, based upon corrupted Greek text, uh, not those who deny that Jesus is coming, but just those who don't confess it. And generally we think like, well, who would that be? And we think of all well, the New Age movement, you know, and different groups that, you know, fall into ritualism, et cetera, et cetera. And I was thinking about this and... Um, it's not those who deny, it's just those who don't confess. That's the shows where the spirit of Antichrist is at work. And let me ask you, when was the last time you confessed Christ to someone? When was the last time you talked to someone about the Lord Jesus Christ? We're so quick to apply that warning and that threat to other people, we forget if the spirit of Antichrist is simply not to ever talk about Jesus, what on earth is going on in my life? Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody here, but I'm definitely trying to get to do a little self-examination. Are you confessing Christ? This sermon on the Mount is addressed to the confessing church. I remember when they first formed the, uh, the uh, church in the Congo. It was called the Iglesia Reformée Confessante au Zaire many years ago when it was still called Zaire. Uh, it was the Reformed Confessing Church. And of the faith, uh, let's see, Grace Reformé de la Foi. 
that's what now it's called, but the Reformed Confessing Church. And that's what the church really is. We are a confessing church. The true church is a confessing church, corporately and individually. Now, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is what you have in your mouth is going to come, excuse me, in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. All right? So if you've got a bunch of garbage in your heart and a bunch of foolishness, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. What is coming out of your mouth? Are you confessing Christ? Is You say Christ dwells in your heart by faith. Now, in one sense, I want to encourage you. The fact that you're here today to worship God is a, a very much a confession of Christ, okay? So don't despair. Not everybody's called to be a fiery evangelist. But we do need to recognize we're all called to confess Christ. This is what brings about what Jesus is talking of here. This is what brings about the wrath of the world. They don't want to hear it. You know, when you live godly for Christ Jesus, and know what Paul says, all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus. So it's not just talking the talk, it's as we say, walking the walk. It's kind of a trite saying, but it definitely is true. Uh, the world gets irritated by Christians that live like, like, like Christians, that begin to follow the Bible and to speak up for Jesus. They don't like that because they, they're comfortable in their sins. And by the way, when I say the world, I'm talking about the, the secular world and the religious world. So we are to confess Christ, and that's the mark of the true church. And that's what this blessing is, uh, to whom this blessing is given. In Luke chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, Jesus said, Blessed are you, it's plural there, when men hate you. And when they exclude you, it means you don't get invited to their parties. They don't want to hang around with you. Uh, and revile you. That just means they hold you in contempt. When they Or when your name is mentioned, they kind of roll their eyes like, oh yeah, him, or oh yeah, her. For the Son of Man's sake, very important. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 5. For the Son of Man's sake. Not be, you know, some people say, uh, well, I'm being persecuted. It's like, no, actually, you're a jerk, okay? And that's why people don't want to hang around with you, okay? Because you're not kind to people, you're mean, and, you know, you don't help anybody, you're a really selfish person. No, no, I, I'm a, I am a true Christian. It's like, you know, the, the um, licentious Casanova on his deathbed, he said, I have, I have lived as a philosopher and I die as a Christian. Well, let God be his judge, okay? But the man was known for his licentiousness. Uh, and so a lot of people are like, well, I'm being persecuted because I'm a Christian. Really? Because nobody knows you're a Christian because you never talk about it. You didn't mention it until things started going you know, sideways for you. And all of a sudden, you're a pious person being persecuted because you love Jesus, okay? Now, maybe so. I'm not going to judge you. But make sure it's for Jesus' sake and not because you're acting horribly toward people or not doing your job or... Uh, not speaking kind words, or just, like I say, being a, I guess, I hope it's okay to say this in the pulpit, not, you know, make sure it's not because you've been acting like a jerk, okay? Uh, it's one thing to be rejected, it's another thing to be rejected for Christ's sake, all right? We want to make sure that if they're going to reject us, it's going to be because we love Jesus, all right? And so be encouraged, because it's going to happen. Jesus said in John chapter 16, in the world you will have tribulation, all right? Uh, he said, but be of good courage, for I have overcome the world. If you're being hated for Jesus' sake, Jesus said, you're in good company, because that's the way they treated the prophets. Those 
men that God raised up that actually spoke the word of the Lord. They spoke up for God. You know, the prophets aren't, you know, we speak about prophets. Some people think, well, to prophesy means to predict the future. And back before the canon was completed, it did entail that. Uh, but the prophet, if like when we read Jeremiah, he's not predicting the future most of the time. He's speaking to his generation and their spiritual and moral condition of his time. He's preaching a sermon. He's reproving them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He spoke to his generation and he called them to repentance. So you're in good company if you're in the company of the apostles and if you're in the company of the true confessing church. Our corporate commanded response in this is to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Okay, and so that's why I challenge you a little bit to think about some things, do some self-examination, maybe some confession of the sin of complacency and of uh, cowardliness in the face of the enemy and begin start speaking up intelligently as we have opportunity okay as we as you know like it says that you know uh, peter said give a, a response to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you and with respect and so we're to do that but you need to live in such a way and speak in such a way that they will ask you what is this Christianity? Because I see something different in your life. What is this? We need to live that way. Okay, We need to be full of good works and kindness to other people and doing the things that please God and speaking the truth in love. If we have to rebuke someone, we need to make sure we first rebuke ourselves and you know for like sins and that we're really looking and seeking their good. Don't just rebuke somebody because, well, you know, I don't like the way that person looks, so I went and rebuked him, you know, or whatever. We need to learn to speak the truth in love. Jesus said, if you're doing what God wants you to do and you're being hated by the world, you should be exceedingly glad. He says, rejoice, be exceedingly glad, and leap for joy. So this is, again, the corporate body of Christ assembled in worship and praise. Okay, you're supposed to be, you know, when I, I'm not trying to, like, beat you over the head with this, okay, because, like, you've got to worship God, okay? That's not what it's about. Let your heart rejoice. Recognize who you are. Your sins have been forgiven. Of course you're a flaky sinner. That's why Jesus came into the world, lived a sinless life on your behalf, and died for you. Because he knows you're a flaky sinner, but he's not leaving you like that. He's at work, and he's doing something awesome in each one of his children. Okay, You need to recognize his work. If you're a believer today... In spite of your, you know, thinking, ah, oh, I'm just not worthy. Good, you're where you're supposed to be because you're not worthy, but he's worthy. We just sang a whole bunch of songs about his worthiness. That's how we praise him. Lord, you alone are worthy. Read the book of Revelation when you see the church gathered in heaven. What are they saying? Go back to the old King James if you don't mind. Thou art worthy. All right? Just proclaiming that Christ is the one. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. He is the one that gets all the praise. We're to praise him. But we're to praise God in the, in the body of Christ, within his corporate body, his people, his church, gathered locally. In Psalm 16, verse 3, David wrote and said, As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And that's really, if you read Psalm 16, clearly that's the spirit of Christ speaking there. But that should be true in every saint that has the spirit of Christ. You should love the church. I got somebody mad at me. I've had a few people get mad at me because I simply said... Don't say you love the church and then never want to be around any Christians. You know, if you love someone, you want to be with them, okay? You guys know this, you know, married couples, you you know, by God's grace, you love each other. 
Yeah, husbands, you want to be with your wife. Wives, you want to be with your husband. Why? Because you love them. Doesn't mean you never have problems. I wish, okay? But sometimes you do, but you, you still love them, okay? But the idea of like, well, uh, I really love you guys. I just can't stand to be around you, okay? Uh, that's not love there. We need to work to overcome any, any burdens like that. And so when someone says, oh, I really love Jesus, but I just don't go to church, I'm going to question you a little bit, okay? Sometimes you've had a bad experience in church, I can get that. And that's why some people don't go to church, because they ran into a wall of hypocrites, okay? We need to work to get rid of that. We need to let people know, you know what? The Bible says you should go to church. You're, you're commanded. No, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting each other, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We're to be together, coming to church, being with God's people, Sunday mornings, other times for fellowship and times... We're to be given to that. We're to be with the people we love. And you know what good reason? Because the Christians that are in their midst, and hopefully the church is pretty much all Christians, okay, they love you. Personally, I think it's kind of a nice thing to be with people that love me. All right? It might sound selfish to say that, but it's kind of nice. If you think back in life, who are the people that you've enjoyed their company? Well, you think of family members, you know, maybe grandparents and the different individuals we've known. It's like, yeah, that person really did love me and was interested in my life, okay? It's nice to be around people like that. Not just so they can be loving on you, but just it's pleasant to have fellowship together with people that are like-minded. And we love each other because we all love the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, and we see Christ at work in each other. We see his image, and that's what makes it easy for us to love one another. But, you know, sometimes you have to look for that a little bit because God's lambs have problems sometimes, okay? We need to love God's people. So this proclamation, blessed are ye, comes with a promise and a command. Blessed are ye, that's a declaration. Jesus said, you are blessed. He's not saying that, you know, maybe you are. He's saying it, blessed are ye, when they revile and persecute you. comes with a declaration. It is a declaration. It also uh, comes with a promise, for great is your reward in heaven. So as you look beyond your circumstances, don't let your circumstances overwhelm you. You have a future. I've said this plenty of times before, you know, lots of times people in the world, and sometimes Christians, we're controlled by our past. Unrepentant sin, the Bible tells us, you know, men are held by the cords of their iniquities. They can't move forward in life because they're bound up either with guilt or they've gotten themselves in such predicaments that they're they're bound up. Well, we need to give that to God. We need to make sure that's not what's holding us back. Sometimes people are controlled by their past. We need to give that to Jesus. Christians are individuals that are controlled by their future. Paul said in Romans 6, Sin shall not have dominion over you, because you're not under the law, but under grace. That's a promise. You know, for years I read that and didn't think much about it. And then it kind of thought like, yeah, sin should not have dominion over me because I'm not under the law. That's true, but that's not what it says. It says sin shall not. It's a promise. Sin shall not have dominion. We have the full forgiveness of sins and sanctification is at work. It is progressive, but it will be complete. And so the declaration is you are blessed. Great is your reward in heaven is the promise. And then the command is to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. That's not a suggestion. Those are in the imperative. You know, you hear me talk about that from time to time. Imperative means do it. It's not a suggestion. It's like, well, if you'd like to, you know, maybe you could go ahead and think about possibly 
once in a while. No, that's not what he said. He said, this is what you're to do. You are to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. You're not to go around, oh, I'm being persecuted. People are picking on me. Now, there may be times you get overwhelmed and you're going to be that way. All right? I can get kind of pouty myself. All right? We all do that. But we need to work through that and recognize, you know what? Christ has called me to rejoice. You want to kick the devil in the teeth? Rejoice when you're being persecuted. When you're going through health issues, rejoice because this is not your end. We're passing through these things. I think you probably heard the story of the old fellow when they, when the pastor asked what his favorite verse in the Bible is. He stood up and he said, it came to pass. And he sat back down and the preacher said, uh, brother, is that, that's not a complete verse. And he said, well, it's complete enough. He said, well, what do you mean? He stood up and he said, when I'm having troubles and difficulties, I remember it came to pass. It didn't come to stay. <laughs> okay. His exegesis might be questionable, but the application is right on target. Okay. Whatever problems you're having, they haven't come to stay. Jesus took care of that in his life and death and resurrection. He's taking care of it uh, in his intercession. And it will be thoroughly dealt with on the day when you're raised up in front of him in glory with all of his redeemed ones in perfect health and filled with his praise and, and adoration to him. And to see the smile of Jesus is going to make it all worthwhile. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, he says. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. The church is a place of rejoicing, or ought to be. That's what we need to work for. You know, uh, Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Actually, I think that's the Philippians he wrote that to. It's important to remember that the people who will be persecuting you won't think that they're doing so because of your love for Jesus. They just won't like you, and they may not be able to say why. It's just an instinctive thing. It's instinctive, and it's by their nature, their fallen nature, because they're estranged from God, and now you're an image bearer, more so than you were before, and they just don't like you. Uh, it's by their nature. It's who they are. It's like the hatred that a cobra has for a mongoose. Okay? They don't know why, they just don't like you. And sometimes it's kind of mutual. The mongoose is like, yeah, I don't like you either. Okay, you know how that usually ends for the snake. Uh, by nature, wolves and lambs generally don't get along, okay? Uh, in the world, those who are hating God and Christ, they're not going to like you. Sadly, most persecution in Christ's church comes from religious people who have wormed their way into authority in the church. The papacy would be the prime example, the Sanhedrin in Jesus' day, and a whole lot of other religious institutions in our day. Uh, Paul makes reference to false brethren. In Isaiah chapter 66, back in the Old Testament, said these things, uh, excuse me, where Christ spoke and said, These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. So we see this persecution often comes from the religious angle. And these things, Jesus said, they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. And in the passage in Isaiah that I referenced a moment ago, uh, Isaiah 66 verse 5 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy, or that he may, shall appear to your joy. 
But then it, Isaiah added, by the Holy Spirit, but they shall be ashamed. Their shame is coming. But notice this. When they were put out, they cast you out. They hated you. But what did they say? Oh, let the Lord be glorified. You know, when William Tyndall was tied to the stake and strangled and then his body was burned, they did so because he was a troubler of, of, of the realm uh, and because he was just a bad person, according to them. His crime was that he had translated the New Testament into the English language. That's why he was put to death. And he was considered a troubler. But Tyndall's with the Lord. He's with Jesus. He's been since that day. It's October the 6th, 1534. He's been with the Lord since that day. He'll be raised up on the last day. Those who murdered him, if they didn't repent, they're not in glory. So Jesus said, rejoice, because they did the same thing to the prophets. John Calvin said, Christ knew that there is no class of men more envenomed than hypocrites, and he foresaw with what furious madness the enemies of the gospel would attack his small and despised flock. It's on Calvin's commentary on Luke's chapter 6. In the Belgic Confession of Faith, chapter 29, we don't refer to this very much, but it's really a good document. Uh, in the Belgic Confession of Faith, chapter 29, it's all the marks of the true church. We've been talking about the true church. And so the Belgic Confession says, We believe that it is necessary to discern diligently with good prudence by means of the word of God what is the true church. Because all sects which are in the world today clothe themselves with the name of the church. In other words, everybody claims to be the church. We speak not here of the company of hypocrites who are mixed with the good in the church, and yet uh, they are not in it, though they may be present as part of the visible body. But we speak so to distinguish the body and fellowship of the true church from association with all other sects which call themselves the church. The marks by which the true church is known are these. If the church regularly has the pure preaching of the gospel, if she regularly has the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ ordained, if ecclesiastical discipline is in use for the correction of vices, in brief, if it is regulated according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it and holding Jesus Christ as its sole head. But this means a person can have an assurance of knowing the true church and no one has any right to be separated from it. And as to those who are part of the church, one can know them by the marks of a Christian, that is, by their faith. And when they have received the only Savior, Jesus Christ, they flee sin and follow righteousness loving the true God and their neighbors without turning to the right or to the left, crucifying their flesh with its deeds. But this is not to say that there does not yet remain great infirmity in them, but they war against it by the Spirit every day of their life, having continual recourse to the blood, death, passion, and obedience of the Savior Jesus, through whom they have remission of their sins by faith in Him. As to the false church, she attributes to herself and to her ordinances more authority than to the word of God. She will not subject herself to the yoke of Christ. She does not administer the sacraments as Christ ordained by his word, but she adds and diminishes as it pleases her. She builds herself more upon men than upon Jesus Christ. She persecutes all those who live holy lives according to the word of God and who reprimand her vices, her greed, and her idolatries. 
These two churches are easily known and distinguished from one another. So we're not just talking about, quote, anything that calls itself a church. So we recognize this. There is indeed a persecuting group of people all too often calling themselves the church. And that's happened historically. Our text today is the needed antidote to the false promises of the modern so-called prosperity gospel also. In 2 Peter 2, 3, he says, By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. Whose covetousness? Theirs and their victims. They promised him great things. Peter said, their destruction does not slumber, it's not idle, and their destruction does, excuse me, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. We've been called to fight in a spiritual warfare, not to live in luxury and pleasures of this world and of the flesh. There's a battle to be fought. uh, Isaac Watts said it beautifully in his hymn, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? Hymn number 481 in the Trinity Hymn, nobody said, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause, or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace? To help me on to God? Then he answers those questions. Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Thy saints in all this glorious war shall conquer though they die. They view the triumph from afar and seize it with their eye. When that illustrious day shall rise and all thine armies shine, in robes of victory through the skies, the glory shall be thine. Amen. Amen. There's a battle to be fought. There's persecution in this world, but we need not faint under it because Christ has pronounced us blessed when we're enduring persecution for his namesake. May he be pleased to glorify himself in our lives and in his church. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would seal your word to our hearts and bring about those things that you command. And Lord, we pray you guide us and direct us. Help us to honor you in all of our lives, Lord, to speak up as we have opportunity and to bear the wrath of this world if necessary, to pick up our cross, Lord, and follow you. Heavenly Father, we ask all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.